Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Gongo is not weird. There, there are things going on internally that would seem to throw a player for a curve, not necessarily coming from us. Sure, yeah. I mean, you uh, you want everybody there, and uh, you also understand that, that this is a business, and people have decisions they have to make, and uh, this is not my first rodeo. You know, I think some of these questions are being asked, like, I'm a rookie, and I've never experienced this before. This is year eight for me. I've played with some big-time, big-name receivers who have done some great things in this league before that aren't named Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, okay? My relationship with those guys has been outstanding from day one till now, and, uh, you know, I... I, I I'm not surprised by what this league can throw at you. You have to have to keep your head down, keep working, and go play. Okay, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here with you every day from 2 to 4. And on Mondays and Wednesdays, our journeyman correspondent, former Vikings quarterback Sage Rosenfels. And uh, Sage, do, do you feel like a ping-pong ball with this team where it's like, you know, you go one way and what a great game and Kirk Cousins looked great. And then, oh my God, how bad could it be? And then ping pong right back um it's kind of been a roller coaster ride for us already through these first couple of weeks uh, a giant roller coaster from week one uh to where it was just this dominating wins so you're feeling really good about the team uh, uh but you know kirk only had to throw 10 balls to the week two performance uh against green bay which was a disaster offensively and then to you know week three another dominating performance to week four a little bit of a disaster to week five another dominating performance so it is uh, up and down and sort of the op- opposite of consistency but what is consistent is when the vikings get a lead by 10 or or, or more points they seem to have the ability to uh you know a you know, sort of just wear teams out and, and continue to play good defense and get that running game going, and, uh, and and the quarterback plays better in those types of situations. And also, the teams that they lost to, good. The teams that they beat, bad. <laughs> and that's a long history. Well, I mean, right. at, least, at least with the quarterback, there's a long history there of beating the uh, average to below average teams but losing to the best teams. So Mike Sando, who's going to join us uh, on Wednesday at 3 o'clock of The Athletic, addressed exactly... Exactly that with Kirk Cousins that uh, yesterday was his highest yards per attempt of his uh, starting career with the Minnesota Vikings. And he looked at the opponent defensive rank 
against, um, you know, who he did it against and where they ranked in defense. And the Giants ranked 25th currently. Um, the Falcons 31st. That was in week one. The Raiders 26th. And basically all of his really good games in terms of yards per attempt have come against teams that rank somewhere between 21 and 31, which is not really surprising and matches up with exactly what we've seen because the opposite end of Kirk Cousins' spectrum is losses against the Bears, the top defenses, loss against the Bills who had a good defense last year, the Patriots who had a good defense last year, and I guess my question, Sage, is is it always going to be this way? Because if you look at the schedule that they have to face, that doesn't seem like it's a great model for being anything more than 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven. Well, that's I said, there's, there's a history here, and we saw it last year. Uh, we, we saw a lot of great stats last year, but it only added up to eight wins, and so at the end of the day, it's it's those key stats, and in particular, when the Vikings are in a close game or, or when they're losing by, you know, a, a field goal, a touchdown, or even more, you know, can, uh, you know, Cousins' play bring the team back? Can he, uh, you know, sort of put the, put the team on the shoulders, those types of things, and we have not really seen too much of that. Obviously, I have not seen that this year. So I, I will say this: that defense. A buddy of mine is a big Giants fan. He, he texts me during the game, "Man, your defense is incredible. Defense is really good yesterday, uh, and and that running game was obviously phenomenal." And and uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, man, it's it's just amazing that speed you see where. Uh, you know, he gets around the edge, and then boom, he, he gets another 10 yards. You feel like, you know, the DB or the linebacker is going to maybe run him down, and, and it just doesn't happen. And, and so they've got these pieces that are really special, a really good defense, and that running game was really something else yesterday. And the pass protection uh, w- was pretty good for the most part, and, and in particular on play action. There was some pass protection on play action yesterday that was, you know, it seemed like he had five, six, seven seconds in the pocket, uh, and, and that allowed him to find some guys down the field. So. I think overall that was the most impressive win uh, that the Vikings had this year. So that it's kind of the model that they talked about early in the season and what it should look like is everyone um, points the finger at Zimmer and says, all he wants to do is run the football. All he wants to do is run the football. But I think in the NFL today you have to have the – run game set up by the pass game, which is more along the lines of what they did yesterday that they showed right off the bat with a throw to Stephon Diggs, moving the ball down the field, using some screen passes to Delvin Cook, that they could throw the ball effectively. And then as the game went along and they were ahead, it was let's have Delvin Cook break out for 41 yards and end this game. But I, here's what I want to know from you, by, Sage. By the way, by the way, think of the, uh, you know, with the run game and the pass game, you're going for over 500 yards yesterday combined. Which is outstanding in the NFL. You know, it's it's like average in college, in particular in the Big Twelve Conference. But the NFL, that is out, that's outstanding. <laughs> so, anytime some Pac twelve offense. Last yeah, anytime time. you get over uh, four hundred yards, uh, it, it's it's a pretty good day, at least from a yards perspective. Uh, but what I loved about it, obviously, was the you know the, the six point two yards per carry, and then the the thirteen point nine yards uh, you know per completion, and yeah. a lot of deeper throwing it down the field throwing it down the field and that was nice and you don't see throwing it down the field again from like the straight drop back stuff uh when you when when they drop back you you see it seems like kirk is is hitting the underneath stuff 
Uh, they have these little sort of uh, arrow routes, they call them, uh, where it's, whether it's digs or it's stealing, but it's these underneath completion sort of find a zone, get the ball a little bit quicker, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands, and don't test that offensive line. Uh, and uh, But when you really want to take some shots yesterday, you know, those receivers, they do win for the most part, uh, you know, versus man-to-man coverage, and they were winning yesterday, and, and Cousins was hitting them yesterday. So, uh, you know, that was nice to see that sort of, you know, if you draw up a style of win for the Vikings, it wasn't a perfect day, but uh, I would say it seemed about 90% perfect by the way the defense played, by the way they ran the ball, and then how that play action worked. Like, that was the formula. And, and the bootlegs were working. The bootlegs were working yesterday, uh, not, and they weren't working in Green Bay a few weeks ago. But they were working yesterday, and you sort of see how that allows for these receivers to get down the field for some big completions, and the quarterback is not sitting in the pocket taking a lot of hits. So I was looking through your uh, career game log here, Sage, and I found a game that you played against John Gruden's Tampa Bay Buccaneers where oh, you, yeah. you went 27 for 36, 209 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, 116 quarterback rating against a defense that finished third in the entire NFL that year in Tampa Bay. So explain to me, because you have experience doing it, how Kirk Cousins can beat a good defense. I mean, because when, when I was watching yesterday, Sage, I mean, you've got guys running wide open. You have a, a third down in the red zone where they decide, yeah, we're going to play man-to-man on Adam Thielen in the slot. As if yeah. there's any corner that they have that can handle a two-way go for one of the best route runners in the NFL. And it's like, guaranteed. I mean, you were calling plays from the press box in Chicago. <laughs> well, I called that one. I said, yeah. they're going to go to Thielen here. There's yeah, no Thielen safety one-on-one. over him. He's one-on-one. I mean, there were a lot of just tremendously bad plays by the Giants yesterday. But well, By the way, what's amazing about Adam Thielen, who it always uh, sort of shocks me sometimes, is you know he, he gets around. When, he, when he's in bump coverage, he gets around the 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 cornerback or the nickel will or whoever the player is but he gets around them without losing a lot of ground like mm-hmm. sideways he you know and he stays vertical and then it's he doesn't look that fast like that thing is he doesn't look that fast but when you watch him run he's he he pulls away yep. from the corner i mean he is right there the corner's right there and then as that route develops and there's only a you know 15 yard throw or something but he's like 4 yards 3 yards past the DB to where he's like wide open, like that's almost always some sort of like jump ball, contested throw, you know, type of thing down there. And he just put the guy in his dust, and he has this knack for separation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I remember early in my career, uh, I think I was playing with the Dolphins, and and uh, we we they they. Uh, one of our coaches had gone to some conference and like Shashesky was there and all these uh, college and pro coaches of various sports were there. And they were talking about in football and in basketball, there's interesting thing about getting away from people. Yeah. The ability to separate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, your 40 time doesn't do it. Your, your quickness drills and your high jump and all the, whatever these things are that you do it, like the combine and all these things. That's, that's such a thing that's like, uh, it's not, it's not always even teachable either like just some people have the ability to separate themselves from the cornerback and in the nfl that's so important is the ability to get away from people and am Thielen has that knack and you don't really see it with some like crazy move he just separates himself you know, from those dbs and, and makes the the life of a quarterback much easier yeah no he does and and i did a piece on him uh as a basketball player where i talked to him about you know his basketball career and i talked to one of his basketball coaches and it, it's the same sort of thing in basketball 
football, where it doesn't always have to be the fastest person if they can sort of manipulate defenders into hesitating or whatever else it might be, they could create space, and he's incredible at that. And that's why him in the slot makes so much sense is yep. because he has that two-way go, and then you know he can get into space and make moves. But uh, and, and it looks like, by the way, they they I think they found a third receiver. BC Johnson has done very guy. well. That's you right. Know, I, I'm not going to say I called it out in the preseason, but I feel like one of the early preseason games, I was like, this kid looks pretty good, looks comfortable, and seems like he can be an outside guy, maybe an inside guy. He's got good hands. Seemed to run a couple good routes yesterday and, and had four catches. And, you know, they've been looking for that third receiver. I think they found one in B.C. Johnson. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And and he sort of developed and came along and along and along as the uh, preseason and training camp went on. We talked about how the receivers weren't really showing the proper development. And then at the end, he sort of showed up and now looks like a reliable receiver. But let me circle back, Sage, to that point on, on beating good defenses because you faced quite a few in your career. And I, I just want you to tell me the difference because it is, it's such a massive difference in the performances from Kirk Cousins against average to bad versus really good. And I don't know if that's just you know, pressure or if it's a bunch of different things. So tell me about the difference between when a team is great at defense and when they're not. Well, it depends on the type of defense. You know, the, the that Tampa defense at the time, you know, John Lynch was on that team and uh, they still had Derek Brooks and I think Rondé Barber was in that game. I mean, they, they still had a lot of those great players from that Tampa team and, and uh, Monty Kiffin was the defensive coordinator. Um, but the thing about that defense was it was not complicated. They really played about three coverages the whole game. They occasionally blitz, but you know it was the, the quote unquote Tampa two, which Monty Kiffin invented. Um, they played Tampa two some, but they also played a lot of we, we would call just basic cover three. Uh, and then they play a little man to man, but you know more sort of keep the ball in front of you. Everyone has eyes on the quarterback. Everyone has eyes on. On, on the receivers or whatever, and you're not turning your back, uh, you know, to where the ball is. And so everyone runs to the football better, uh, which allows, you know, turnovers to happen because the first person gets there, then the second person gets there and knocks the ball out, and, and everyone sort of has eyes on the ball. It's, it's sort of the, it's the opposite really in a lot of ways of the Zimmer thing, which is a lot of man to man coverage. Even mm-hmm. the, what we call cover four is really a form of man to man, at least underneath, like with the tight ends and the running backs in a lot of ways. And so, you know, in those zone coverage defenses my thought process always was get the ball out uh sort of as nice as quickly as possible but you know get the ball out of my hands because i should be able to fairly easily identify what i'm going against your pre-snap um there shouldn't be some you know i have to like figure things out as i'm dropping back and what coverage they in and and all these things i sort of knew what i was going to get and to get the ball out of my hands quickly, get the ball in my hands of my receivers or backs or whoever it is, and let them, you know, sort of make make the plays and, and make their moves and make things happen. The, I, I always felt the the longer the ball is in my hands as a quarterback, the less chance we have of getting towards the end zone. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not getting this thing towards the other end <laughs> of the field. It's my it's my receivers and my running backs. So the quicker I get to them, you know, the fewer hits I'm going to take too. Uh, but uh, I can get to them and they can make make some things happen. And so they, I think they. We saw a lot of that yesterday of him you know, on the straight drop back stuff, not pushing the ball down the field, but getting the ball out uh, and making those guys tackle. And we saw that you know that great shot across yesterday uh, to Stephon Diggs, where he you know get, get him the ball and he made two guys miss and ended up having a pretty good gainer on that one. Yeah, so, that was that they, third and seven, and and that, there was another one on an out route to Adam Thielen that was a three step 
hitch and throw by Cousins that was right on time and a perfectly accurate throw. And when you attend training camp practice and you see Cousins throw day after day after day after day, you see how incredibly accurate he can be on those exact plays. So then when they play someone like the Chicago Bears, and I understand they're good, but they were missing two of their better players. It seems like these things speed up in his mind or that he feels the pressure that isn't there or the the windows close or I, or maybe it's just all the different factors that go into it. Because I think anybody who watched that game yesterday said, yeah, that right there, that's a good quarterback making yes. throws, right? That's exactly right. And so uh, on the other end, I said I went over that sort of Tampa 2-style defense, but on the other end, you would go against teams that were, yeah, I guess from my history, I'm, I'm aging myself, but the Rex Ryan-style ah, defenses, yes. which were very attacking and a lot of blitzes and, and weird fronts and unusual things that maybe weren't always like sound defensively, but they just figured they're going to roll the dice you know, per se and say you're not going to run on third and seven, so we're going to do some crazy overload blitz. Uh, uh, and, you know, which is like not really sound defensively, but almost impossible to pick up. So they, and, and you go through the week of practice and, and you've got all this film of, you know, 38 blitzes you have, and you're trying to figure all these things out. And then they all have different various forms of man or zone coverage behind them. And sometimes it's single high safety coverage. And sometimes it's a two high safety, like sort of zone blitzes, as they say. And there's just like a lot of pieces for your mind to sort of digest. And I struggled more in those. And, mm-hmm. and th- those are better for the guys who are sort of like what I call a see it and throw it. Like, I'm going to go back. I have, you know, I don't really know what the defense is in, but I can see my guy is going to be open and I can fire him the ball and not necessarily even know what defense they're in. And I don't think Kirk is really that type of guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that plays better when he's a little more comfortable. Of course, mo- most quarterbacks do, but he's more comfortable when he knows sort of uh, said he, he's diagnosed the defense pre-snap or he gets the ball and he sees where they go to and now he can just drop back, use his footwork, and be accurate with the football. That's where he's at his best. He's at his worst when teams are throwing a whole bunch of things at him, causing him to think a lot, uh, and then you know, which which I think slows down the process and and th- slows down his ability to, to get rid of the football. All right, Sage, let's take a break. Let's go through a, a little bit more of the Sage notebook from yesterday and talk about a few different players' performances and what it means going forward. I wrote a little bit about the remarkable depth that they now have on defense as uh, this defense continues to really perform quite well, and they gave uh, Daniel Jones a lot of problems yesterday. But it's uh, amazing to me how many players that they have who are undrafted, seventh round or whatever else guys who are contributing. So let's talk about that, as well as Delvin Cook and an interesting comparison that uh, one of our friends in the media made that I want to get your take on. So we'll take that break. We'll be right back here. You are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again... 
That's northmemorial.com slash family. As far as I'm concerned, I, I think he's one of the best players in the world. I absolutely am thrilled that he's on our team. I know that his role on our team allows Adam to get the day that Adam had. And if he has a big day, a lot of it comes from the fact that Adam draws a lot of attention. Uh, teams cannot bring a safety to one side or the other. If they do, you know, we're excited about that opportunity to, to work one or the other. And so they complement one another as a quarterback. Uh, it's a tremendous help. I have a theory about what you do with these sound clips coming back, Jonathan. I think you intentionally play something that's kind of interesting. So I'll be like, oh, let's talk about that instead of what I teased. But you can't get me. I'm saving you that. Remembered for, your tease I am for once? saving that for the third segment because I remember my tease. The third segment, I've got what Peter King has to say about the <laughs> Stefan Diggs situation, and we will talk about that. Nothing big to discuss yesterday, other than um, that Stefan Diggs' is smile and wink made ESPN. But I can tell you that he does that all the time after answering questions, where he'll just sort of wink at someone or give them a little nod or something. So I, I wouldn't read into that. Um, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here on Purple Daily, but. My tease was to get into some more observations about the game that you had yesterday, Sage. And I just want to start out with, they have defensive linemen now for days, it seems. And every year we're like, I don't know about that depth up there. And then Afadi Adenabo comes up with a sack. Good story from that guy. Cut twice, came back to the practice squad last year, and was an impact player in the preseason and has carried that over to the regular season. Position by position, they just have multiple players at any time who can play. That was a dominating effort uh, yesterday. By you know, they have depth, uh, which keeps their guys who were in that starting line uh, with a little more juice. Uh, in, you know, at the at the end of the game or in the in the you know passing situations. Obviously, the defensive ends yesterday were just unstoppable. Monster. I mean, Everson is a is a monster. Everson looks like a different player this year mm-hmm. than last year. Daniil is, I think, better maybe than last year, and he was really, really good the last few years. So, uh, and then the inside guys, you know, played uh, for the most part pretty well. And then, as you're saying, a couple of these backup guys who have come in. You know, we haven't we haven't used a name like Weatherly. We thought Weatherly might have a more of a role last this year because he was play, he seemed to play a decent amount last year, and he hasn't made a lot. But there's been a lot of other guys who have stepped up, stepped up into your guys, and and uh, it's it's if you've got a good defensive line. It, man, it makes the, the DBs and the safeties and everyone else's job much easier. That D-line was dominant yesterday. I mean, they have this at every position where they take guys that no one has ever heard of from the seventh round or undrafted, and then they're just players all of a sudden. I mean, J. Ron Curse didn't play a whole lot yesterday. The situation didn't call for it, but when he's been asked to go in, he's been really good. Eric Wilson filled in a couple of games for Anthony Barr, and he was really good. And then we see the development of the first-round pick, Mike Hughes, who easily had his best NFL game yesterday a couple of PBUs almost had an interception on Daniel Jones and you know that's the thing about analyzing this team Sage that makes it tough is we look at top to bottom and this goes for offense and defense and you just have a tough time finding that many holes we focused a lot on the offensive line but it is such a talented team I think that that's why there is the reaction when they lose because it's like this team has every bit of the potential in the NFC of any other team based on their talent. And now the fact that they have depth players develop too on, on the defensive side, like they should have a chance every single time they go up against a good team. And to come away with the losses they did, those 
could have been, should have been wins. This team could easily be five and zero at this point, and, and I think that that's what causes a lot of the the, the I guess consternation from fans. Yeah, but I think we also we, we know this team's talented. They've been talented for years. And again, we, we talked about sometimes with people react so strongly to whether it's a head coach or a general manager. In, in this in this case, Rick Spielman, uh, you know, like you know, he should be fired for this or he screwed up this or whatever. But they've made a lot of right decisions over the years. Uh, because this team does have talent, uh, but they also, that development side, there are really good coaches on this coaching staff who take guys who have some natural talent, but maybe were either poorly coached in college or maybe went to a smaller school or whatever and were just a little bit overlooked and they find them uh, in the late rounds or even undrafted. And true development, not just physical development, actually teaching these guys truly how to play football. Uh, and Mike Zimmer really understands that, the little details, uh, in particular on defense, and these guys get better. And they might be, said, you know, a seventh-round guy that is, you know, maybe on the practice squad or, or sort of on the roster but not really playing for a year or two. But then over time, they end up being a really good player in year, year three, year four, you know, something like that. And they've got these some of these young guys now who are starting to flash because, you know, even the guys who are like rookies, they're not necessarily rookies anymore because they've been through, you know, coming up on almost a half of a season coming up, and they've been through all these preseason games and stuff, and and they're starting to probably figure things out and play a little bit faster and see how things work in games, and now they're starting to get some action in, in actual NFL games, and, and they're all playing well. So the, there is so much talent, and they have played so well that when someone isn't playing well, it really stands out, and that one person who has not played well is Xavier Rhodes. He gives up the touchdown yesterday, which was still a very, very good throw and catch at the back of the end zone. And it wasn't like he got completely toasted. He was diving at the end, but still not something that usually happened to Xavier Rhodes. And Mike Zimmer talked today about how Rhodes has not been shadowing receivers like he did in the past. And Zimmer's explanation was, because I told him not to. Um, But that really says something. In the past, it was just stick Rhodes on their top guy, and you know he's going to shut him down. And this year... He has been, for the second straight year, one of the lowest graded by PFF cornerbacks in the NFL. And after what Mike Hughes did yesterday, Sage, I feel like I would not be surprised to see Mike Hughes taking over for Xavier Rhodes at some point this season. I was just going to say, what's your over-under? What week do you think Mike Hughes is is the starter at the right cornerback position over number 29? I mean, if it was me, it'd be this week. I think it's sooner than later. I think it's bef- I think it's right around this midseason mark. You know, in, in two three weeks, uh, there are some easy. Compl- I mean, teams are attacking uh, his side of the field. Yes, quarterbacks are. You know, it's one on one. You know, there's a lot of situations where you have. You know, the, the coach calls go two go routes. You got a go route on the left. You got a go route on the right. And you sort of pick and choose which one's better. You know, if one guy's bumped, you usually go to the bump guy. If you know, yada yada yada. But then you then you go down to match. If all is even, you go to the matchup. You know, who's my receiver? Who's their corner? And you go off of that. And when they're when the, and those situations happen, teams are going to number twenty nine to Xavier Rhodes' side, and they're having a lot of success. Uh, and you know, th- there was a route yesterday that was uh, I think it was a play action. I believe what I would call a read route where a receiver uh, is basically running what looks like a post, but if the safety's super, super deep, they're going to hook it up. Uh, and there was man-to-man coverage, and he, and he hooked it up, and they got the completion. But not only that is Xavier got a at a horse collar tackle yep. on top of it. So that's like you know, like that's like a forty-yard gain or something like that, or a thirty-five-yard gain. That's a huge, huge play. Uh, there is a slant by Evan Ingram, the tight end, though he's more of a receiver, but he's still a tight end that was in the red zone, and uh, you know Xavier. 
Xavier was the corner on that side. And a lot of times, uh, as a quarterback, you're a little weary of the matchup of a tight end out there on a, a, a corner, in particular, it was supposed to be a good corner. And you, you, you're sort of worried that he's going to jump him because, you know, the, the, the cornerback is not worried about the tight end just running vertical on him. So he's going to jump all these short routes, in particular, the slant. Well, not only was the slant an easy completion, but Rhodes was probably three or four yards away from Evan Ingram when he caught that ball and allowed for about a 10 or 12-yard completion on a very easy slant in the, in the red zone. He made it way too easy on him. He's making it too easy on a lot of these op- opposing receivers. Yeah, I think there's just a lack of burst that's there, and then because you have that lack of burst, he commits a lot of holding penalties, a lot of pass interference penalties. And so then when he does make a mistake that's on tackling, like you said with the horse collar, it sort of shows up even more, or it feels like it's having even more of an impact because he's been committing these other penalties and he's been letting people get behind him. Uh, anytime you're talking about like running a hitch or something, it seems like he just can't stick the foot in the ground like he used to and close the gap because a lot of the times when those guys run hitches, if you have someone with real great quickness, they could jump in and break it up or something like that. We but saw that, that with just Mike hasn't Hughes. been there. Yeah, that's we right. Saw with and, and Trey Wayne's yesterday. Yeah. There was a what we call a smoke route, which is uh, basically a. You don't even you don't even really go on the field as a receiver. It's you're right on the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback can just get the ball out. And he is pretty. He made a, a good tackle yesterday in one of those. And Mike Hughes, you can see the burst, yeah, uh, and the speed with what Hughes and the explosion what he has. And he did a fantastic job breaking up a. I think it was a, a possible touchdown pass uh, on maybe it was it was it Shepard or something yesterday. He I thought Hughes played really well. He, he is playing really good football. And uh, you know, the, listen, the NFL does not. You know, nobody is sort of a sacred cow out there. So if somebody behind you is playing better than you, uh, your your time as a starter is not going to last very long. And uh, and if I, if it were me, I'd be you know I'd probably I probably would be there already with having Mike Hughes start over Xavier Rhodes because yeah I can see you know obviously early on he didn't play early on in the season and it takes a few weeks to sort of get him into the mix of things to really see uh, if he's 100% healthy but at this point the way Hughes is playing and the way Rhodes is playing uh, he is the weakness of that defense yep. I, I don't know how any other way to say it it's not you know Anthony Harris the, uh, the, the the safety opposite which is always like the safety opposite Harrison Smith because uh, they're never as good as Harrison Smith but you know you thought that might have been a weakness I think he's playing pretty good football uh, the linebackers are playing well we've just Talked about the D line. It's that uh, that right cornerback position uh, that that seems to me the, the weakness of this defense. And of course, Hughes, in order to start, would have to depend on Mackenzie Alexander coming back. He missed yesterday, um, and no idea if and when he's coming back because he did come back from the elbow injury for a game and then had to miss yesterday's game. Uh, so pretty unclear on his status. I guess we'll find that out as it goes along. But this week you have Elshon Jeffrey and Elshon Jeffrey Xavier Rhodes through the years has been usually a little one-sided toward Elshon Jeffrey. And if they're going to have those two match up again because of Rhodes' size, if I'm the Eagles, I'm attacking that all the time. And Oh, uh, oh yeah, nonstop. And, and listen, Xavier's strong. Like That might be part of his issue right now as he's gotten a little bit older, is that he's strong, and that's just more weight. I mean, he's a thick-legged... Yep. Think, you know, he's really more of a cover two, you know, type of corner, and uh, more of a tackling corner at this point. And he can be, get physical with the wide receivers at the line. But if he misses a little bit and he doesn't really shut them down at that spot, he just doesn't seem to have the juice to, to and the quickness to sort of catch up 
uh, and then to you know keep pace with these wide receivers. And it's you know it's it's uh, it's definitely a, a more than a trend at this point. It's it's pretty consistent. So um, I did also want to bring up, and this is just the I'm like area of improvement for myself. We look at it the same way sometimes as radio hosts getting uh, the teases that I had, like actually doing them instead of saying when we come back we'll talk about and then i forget um i also mentioned delvin cook and ben gessling who writes for the star tribune compared delvin cook in terms of his balance and the way that defenders have a chance at him but actually have no chance at him to percy harvin and i see it like when yeah. he, oh yeah when he gets the ball yeah. in his hands that he just yep. cannot be brought down he has this unbelievable balance we really saw that yesterday and let me just give you his insane numbers so far he's averaging almost six yards a carry even with the game against chicago that didn't go so well and over 100 yards rushing 108 yards rushing and then yesterday with a, a good game through the air has 21 receptions for 200 yards i mean we are talking about like MVP style numbers for a running back in today's game, six point six yards per touch, which is above, I believe, Saquon Barkley where he was last year. What an unbelievable start for him! I just wondered what you thought of that comparison of Delvin Cook to Percy Harvin. They, they are similar because you know when I first saw Percy Harvin, I actually remember when we drafted him as before the draft. Uh, I walked into our wide receiver coach's room, Coach Stewart. And a coach Stu, and and he, we were talking about maybe what receivers he liked, and he put on some tape of Percy Harvin. Now that Florida offense was a little bit kooky, you know, the Tim Tebow thing, obviously super untraditional. I mean, they couldn't even do, uh, uh, you know, when they kneel it down, uh, they would have to do it out of shotgun because they were never under center. So hmm. talk about like you know early spread type of stuff. Yeah. But anyway, Percy. They ran a lot of like shallow crossing routes, and he would catch the ball. And when it was in his hands, man, it was he was so explosive. You just saw this fifth gear. Just he went from like second to fifth, and it was just like explosion. And when guys would hit him, he had great balance, and and he could keep his feet, and he could spin move, and and then he would really sort of power through the defender. He was not scared to sort of you know get hit or take that hit at the end. He even as like a wide receiver, he wanted to, you know almost like Adrian Pearson. He was looking for contact, and you see you see that Dalvin with with Dalvin is that he has that crazy explosive speed, but then you also see when he does have contact, he's not like a you know a, a smaller guy like a Philip Lindsay in Denver or somebody like he is he he tries to be a power back too he's a power back and he's a speed back and uh, so he is he's really something special and if he does stay healthy um, you know it's always a quarterback it seems like with the MVP but if he runs for you know 17 1800 yards uh, you know that would uh, that you'd have to think he's he would be up for consideration and possibly could win it now the Vikings win seven games and he runs for 1,700 yards, that would be a travesty. So uh, hopefully these yards end up being, uh, you know, they end up being adding to the to the victory total as well. If you like on-pace stats, I just ran the uh, numbers on it. 1,730 is what he's on pace for just rushing for Delvin Cook, and he has 200 yards in the air also. And, and I think yesterday using So those... we're looking at like a 2,500-yard season? Like in, in Let me total, figure out. Yeah, right? yeah, I think so. Let Something me figure like out that. the uh, receiving here. I mean, that's that's impressive, and and uh, that, that's an impressive you know, load, and 
And, uh, you know, these running backs, in particular when you give them the first round, you, know, you, you have to use them a lot early because, you know, when, you know, when they come up, one, they get old fast. Uh, and when they come up on free agency, they get expensive, like with, with Dallas, with, with Zeke Elliott. So uh, I think the Vikings are going to try to use Dalvin as much as possible. Uh, and, and, but, but yet also, at the same time, not overwork him. You know, there's a... I, I think they're doing a great job of those screens, getting him the ball in space. Yes, so I wanted to bring that tackled up. by nine guys, you know, near the line of scrimmage and taking those types of hits. But you know, he has that that burst that when he gets in space, when he gets through the line on a running play, it's just like explosion. Boom, he's out of there. And then on those screens, once he gets that motor running and he gets those those wheels going, he just sort of runs past everybody. Uh, it, it almost looks like everyone else is standing still. That's what, you know, it's, it's, it's an old cliche phrase, but it almost does feel like that sometimes. About 2,400 yards from scrimmage is, is his pace at the moment. Um, the screen passes, something that I have uh, talked a little bit about on the show of thinking that they're a really good idea, especially because you get the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands fast. And uh, even Kirk and I talked about this at some point during the preseason of this being a real key thing um, to this offense is just finding other ways to get Delvin the football. And when he gets a little screen and then has somebody in space like a linebacker, most of the time he can get by that guy. And and yesterday, the linebackers, when they were manned up with Cook in space, had just zero chance he was going to go right by them. I, I think well, that's something they need to do against better teams. Yeah. The, the, was it the first screen of the game yesterday? I, I can't remember when exactly it was, but it was. I feel like the Vikings were backed up maybe around their own 10-yard line or something. They, they hit him on the screen. And it was the linebacker was completely unblocked. Mm-hmm. Whether he played it well or the lineman didn't get out there fast enough, and Dalvin caught the ball and then just outran him. Like you know, there's like there's a make it. Uh, Dalvin can make guys miss, but he also just sort of like will look at you and then just outrun you to the corner. <laughs> yeah. You know, outrun you to the sideline yeah. and up the sideline he goes. Like that's I feel like well, a defender will sort of have him in his you know have him in his sights and he, I got you, and then Dalvin just goes I'm gonna put on the Jets right here and just outflank you and run around you, and then next thing you know, he's 10 or 12 yards down the field. End up being a 15-yarder on the screen that was really poorly executed by the Vikings' offense. All right, what Peter King had to say about the Stephon Diggs situation, we will discuss when we return. Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar, it's Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Time for the Score North download. This download brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. And uh, after his three catches, brought him 44 yards yesterday in his team's 28-10 win over the New York Giants. Stefan Diggs, who had a lot of controversy surrounding himself last week, was asked by the media how he's going to be going forward. And he said he's going to be a good team guy. Here's what he said. As far as like a narrative being built, as far as like uh, anything outside of I've been a team guy. That can be. I can't be justified because I've never been that. You know, since I've been here, I always celebrate with my teammates. I'm always happy for them. I'm always encouraging. You know, that's why we got a lot, a little inside handshakes and all that kind of stuff. But uh, for me, that's just part of being me. I don't have to be nobody but be myself. And uh, I'm not trying to prove a point to nobody. 
he heard of Vikings fans. He's not trying to prove a point to anybody. Seems like all is settled. Your thoughts on the situation there? Is Diggs going to be a good team guy going forward? What are your thoughts of that situation? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. Booth space available for the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Early bird pricing ends December 1st. Interact with Minnesota golfers at the largest golf show in the region. Go to minnesotagolfshow.com and click on exhibit Exhibitor Info. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Now remember, Jonathan, he was just sick yeah, and should have communicated better. But there was truth to all rumors, and he was frustrated. So wherever the truth lies in there. I do believe he had a little sniffle. I think that that was probably true. This wasn't um, just a media creation? Uh, no, it was not. It was not just a media creation, though, when he admitted to being frustrated and said there was truth in the rumors. And anyway, so Ian Rappaport and... The like reported the things you already know, that he was frustrated with the offense, things like that. Judd Zolgad, who's going to be in here soon, said that uh, his issue is not directly with Kirk Cousins, but more the offense not focusing around the receivers. Anyway, so Sage Rosenfeld's with me here, Purple Daily. I'm going to read you this, Sage, and um, I want you to just make a noise at the moment you um, find this to be preposterous from Peter King, okay? I don't care what noise you make. Just make a noise. All right. Okay. Peter King writes this in his column this morning at Pro Football Talk. I think Stefan digs to the Patriots at the trade deadline still makes sense, especially. (coughs) Okay. Let me keep going, though, because my noise also happened there. But like, keep going, Uh. especially if the season goes south for Minnesota, save for a second and fourth round pick in 2020. A first round pick strikes me as too rich for digs. You can make another noise if you want. I mean, a second-round pick for Stephon Diggs would be idiotic for the Minnesota Vikings to take. They have him under contract. And unless he went full like Jalen Ramsey or Antonio Brown and just decided he wasn't going to show up anymore and potentially sit out for years on years and not get that $75 million that he could potentially earn, uh, I don't see any reason why the Minnesota Vikings would trade Stefan Diggs anywhere, much less to the Patriots for a second round pick. Sorry, PK. I can't get, even. And when he says go south, like, dude, it's not going south. Like, they're not going to win five games here. They've already got three. They're, they have a winning record at the moment. Well, that's, I, yeah, that's why I initially was like, well, I, it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to go south. The whole thing is not going to just implode. This is not the Washington dumpster fire or the <laughs> Cincinnati dumpster fire right, or the right. Miami dumpster fire. This, because they've got a really good defense, because they've got a, a good running game, uh, because they have receivers and threats out of the backfield, uh, they will be in a lot of games and they're going to come down to field goals and a touchdown here or there. And it's going to be, you know, that, Six somewhere between six and ten and ten and six, you know. And as we all know, it's a it's a it's a fumble here, it's a tip ball here, and it's amazing how things can can go from one to the other. So there, it's not going to completely fall apart. And if it does, going to be like week fourteen or something yeah. after the trade deadline if somehow that would uh, occur. So I don't see that occurring. I don't see the Vikings giving him up for that little. Uh, and I don't see the Patriots, even though of course they love the stockpile players. They've got a very good receiving core, mm-hmm. I, I believe. And, you know, Josh Gordon is a stud, and he seems to be back to being who he was early in his career. And obviously they've got Edelman, and they've got some players over there. Uh, and it's just not something that they need, I, I think, right now. So it doesn't make a, a ton of sense to me. And, and uh, you know, this is where – this is the stuff that sort of I, I don't enjoy as much as, like, speculation, 
You yeah. know, we could sit yep. here and say, well, it could be this, it could be that, or whatever. And I feel like that's what a lot of times people do in the summertime because there's nothing to talk about because there's no games or practices or anything. Uh, and the draft's been done for a, a couple months. And, and so, but I, I just, it, we can speculate all we want. I just don't see that happening. I don't see the, the Vikings giving him up. But, but I will say this. Um, when the Antonio Brown thing occurred, and now the Jalen Ramsey thing is going on, and, and Trent Williams uh, in Washington, too, all that, and, you know, premier players uh, holding out or not showing up or whatever it might be, that there was this conversation about, you know, players truly more understanding now what the real value is mm-hmm. and what the real power is. You know, the players can actually, uh, you know, create these things to happen like they do in the NBA or in other sports that the NFL just seems like the player hasn't had enough guts to, you know, sit out because their careers are so short many, many times. And, and there's only so many years to make money. So teams or players generally don't do that. Uh, but it does seem like there is a little bit more empowerment amongst the players to take that risk. Yep. Uh, but that's, a, that's a lot of money to risk. And, uh, you know, um, I just don't see again a team. I don't see the Vikings. You know, uh, a first rounder and a third rounder. Maybe they think about it. If he's being a, such a pain in the neck that uh, that it, they just they look at the situation as so unhealthy. But I, I don't think it's there. I don't, I don't even really think it's that close to being there. No, I, I don't think so either. I think that the only way you do it is if you got somebody else back who was really good at football. And at a position like receiver, it's hard to find anybody that good. It would be like a digs for Jalen Ramsey. It would be the only way you would consider doing something like that. It would have to be player for player. I don't think the Vikings are in a position to be like, oh, yeah, just give us draft picks. Yeah, we'll try drafting someone as good as Stephon Diggs because yeah, exactly that's going right. to be pretty tough to do. Um, yeah, and they've already given him a bit, a, a bit, you know, a good contract to him, and and you know they'd have to give up a monster tra- contract to Jalen Ramsey. I mean, what is he going to want? You know, sixteen million a year, something like that. So I don't know if the Vikings have that you know type of capital in their in their salary cap space. All right, Sage. Before I let you go for today, and we'll be back at this on Wednesday to preview the Eagles game. Uh, I need your football brain, okay? Um, if you saw Deshaun Watson and the way he's been giving his post-game press conferences is to fully break down the uh, opponent's defense and to give um, good football-y details at the podium, which is kind of um, entertaining to listen to. Uh, but I got a couple of messages from people yesterday who were like, can you ask Sage to interpret some of this? So it's like if you have a friend who speaks Spanish and you're like, can you listen to this Spanish thing and tell me what they're saying? So I want you to do that with Deshaun Watson. So we're going to play it, and then you tell us what some of the things mean. Go ahead, John. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, they play a lot of man, different variations of man, play a lot of diamond front, which is diamond front is the five across, the center's head up, you know, the two guards are covered up. Got the two wide ends for Vic Beasley and McKenzie. Um, and, and then, you know, you got the linebacker, Dion, and, and sometimes they play man, sometimes they drop out and play Tampa. Uh, they do a little blitz zone. They try to do it, you know, and their pressure and empty was the brand of star, press them and cap the safety. Uh, but I just threw hot both times. One time, hot was there, and he didn't recognize that I told him that to break out hot, and he kept running his, his uh, seam route. So I just took it up the middle. Um, and then, you know, different blitz zone per, per, uh, packages. They play cover six, you know, zone it off. Um, and then they played diamond two and popped out. Um, so they did a lot of different things. Low in the red zone, they played, we call it zero rats, where it's, it's no safety in the middle. And that rat defender, which is 37, double hop. Uh, so it leaves everyone else one-on-one. So that's why Fells uh, and Will was able to, you know, connect and win. 
because uh, it was just one-on-one matchups. So, uh, and they did a little other stuff, but you know, then you know, zone read package, uh, they made sure they contained me and not let me pull it. So, um, you know, we just you know locked in on each and every play and try to make sure that we knew exactly what they were doing. Okay, so there's a lot there. Pick one that you would love to explain. The rat Ooh. thing is interesting to me because what were they doing? I mean, they're just u- using the rat defender to double over Hopkins, but they have other players who are good at football, and Deshaun Watson just threw it to them. Yeah, uh, well, there's there's like seven things to talk about with yeah, all of that. Yeah, and you have one to, minute. To get into. Okay, so <laughs> starting off, various firms of man. Well, when you have man-to-man, man-to-man defense, uh, usually teams have four rushers, so you get seven defenders back there, which means you have a deep free safety. You get man underneath, which means there's one extra guy because you only have five eligible players on offense, and you have six defenders underneath, so you have one extra guy. Is that extra guy going to be a linebacker who doesn't have any responsibility but to look people up, or is it a safety who comes out of the middle and ends up being sort of a lurker in the middle? So that's a, you know, then there's. And there's obviously there's two man. So there's various forms of like man to man coverage. The diamond thing. Most teams play a four man front or a three four defense, but really a three four defense looks like a five two in, in a sense. But a diamond takes those three four defensive ends and moves them over the guard, so the guards and the center and the tackles are all basically covered, which means all one on one situations uh, in, in the middle. The hard part about that is in the in the back end, you usually have to play man to man coverage because you got these five rushers. But some teams will drop out. Uh, one of those defensive ends or drop out those linebackers and play some sort of zone behind it. But naturally, as a quarterback, you think you're going to get some sort of man-to-man coverage when you're in a what they call a diamond front. Other teams call that a bear front because it started with the Chicago Bears and Buddy Ryan, Buddy Ryan in Ryan. the mid-'80s in Chicago. Football. There you have it. That's simple, everyone. Cover six is cover two plus cover four, cover six. That's what that is. It's four on one side, two on the other. There you have it. Um I love this, Sage. I love that he's going up there and saying, well, okay, so here it is. You guys asked, and here's some of it. Um, I, I did talk with Mackie the other day, by the way. We're, we're going to maybe in the future see if I can't. Uh, I don't think you guys are going to allow me to do any video stuff uh, for the website or anything, but maybe do some chalkboard type yeah, stuff. If love I can, that. You know, see a play and draw it up, and, and you know, the, the all-22 type stuff comes out, I think, early late tonight or early tomorrow morning, and maybe I'll uh, just do some chalkboard uh, you know, type stuff and, and talk about, you know, how maybe that touchdown play, you know, happened to Adam Thielen, which, by the way, that was a great throw. Great that throw, was a yeah. fantastic catch by Adam Thielen. Yeah, I mean, the the throw's high, but it needed to be. It's it's perfect. So, okay, well, we'll look forward to that in the future, Sage. Great stuff. Always happy to pick your giant football brain, and we'll get together on Wednesday. Thanks, man. So, sounds great. Sage Rosenfels. There, you can follow him probably at Sage Rosenfels on Twitter. Is it Sage Rosenfels? Oh, 18. Sage Rosenfels 18 on Twitter is where you can follow him, and uh, we'll work on that. We'll get Sage to more football-y football uh, when we can. So let's take a break. We're going to come back. Zolgad's going to be in. Zolgad had what he called a mini scoop that he got from New York. Not a big scoop, but a mini scoop. And we just sort of threw it in there a little bit to the postgame podcast, but we want to talk about it a little bit more. Plus, we're going to play the when do you make a noise game with Peter King's uh, assessment of the dig situation. We will be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Shakespeare and Gonzo is not weird. There were things going on internally that would seem to throw a player for a curve, not necessarily coming from us. Sure, yeah. I mean, you uh, you want everybody there. 
and uh, you also understand that, that this is a business and people have decisions they have to make and uh, this is not my first rodeo you know I think some of these questions are being asked like I'm a rookie and I've never experienced this before this is year eight for me I've played with some big time big name receivers who have done some great things in this league before that aren't named Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs okay my relationship with those guys has been outstanding from day one till now and uh, you know I I I'm not surprised by what this league can throw at you. You have to to keep your head down, keep working, and go play. All right, hour number two of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, who pulled double duty, covered the Twins a few days ago, and then yesterday the New York Giants and Minnesota Vikings, and then presumably, Judd, you're going to be back over at Twins today. Yes. It is the week of Zolgad here. Um, in fact, on. I have already been to the Twins, oh, and you, I hold in front of oh, you. In fact, I will show the live this stream. To, uh, to the live stream as the mic again has problems. The rally towel. That one really... That, the Homer that Hankey. mic does not hang on. There, it does right? not hang on well. No, the Homer Hankey, which is red because I found out in 2016, baseball players complained and said, if they're white, we can't see the baseball. Oh, we might okay. lose the baseball. Yeah. And so now it's... It, can I ask you just one Quick question, but before we transition to the Vikings, sure. Who decided that season should be SZN? That's um, the internet, I guess. No, but I mean, like, I get shortening up some stuff for sure. There's a lot of things that get shortened up now, um, and I'm like, okay, oh, I, I, I try to get. Where that. did this come from? There was like, what's the idea? There was a musical artist, okay, who I think was her name SZN oh, or something, okay. oh, or thank her you. album was named SZN. So everyone then started picking it up, and so it's not shortening it. it for it's shortening it to be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. what they're doing. Because I was going to say, web. if it's shortening it because it's season, it's like that's not long enough. Over. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's why. Thank it's, you. It's a it's a millennial thing. I gotcha. Think, or Gen Z, possibly. All right. I, I here's what the game that we played with Sage Rosenfels. <laughs> I told him I read him what Peter King wrote on Stefan Diggs, and then I told him to just make a noise when he finds something to be preposterous. Okay, so any noise, I don't care what. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, Sage chose a cough. So you can use that or whatever you I'll find. I'll think of something. Necessary. I'll think right. of something. Okay, here's what Peter King wrote. Okay. He said, I think Stefan Diggs to the Patriots at the trade deadline makes sense, especially if the season goes south for Minnesota, say for a second and fourth round pick in 2020. Ooh. <laughs> a mooing. Uh, Moo. I haven't, I haven't been able to get through this entire thing yet, so let me just read the entire thing. Yeah. I'll make note of where you mooed. Okay. Um, a first rounder strikes me as too rich for Diggs. Moo! I will also moo at that. Um, but a second round isn't enough. New England never worries about the consequences of trading picks and won't if in three weeks they're getting zero tight end production and still need a wide out. Uh, then he says, I think that uh, the trade is pretty attractive for New England because Diggs is 25 and has a contract reasonable for a very good uh, wide out. I mean, of course he does. And that's why the Minnesota Vikings will absolutely not trade Stefan Diggs this year. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of things to moo at here. I mean, saying that he's not worth a first rounder, that's wrong. Yep. Saying the Minnesota season goes south, it's just not happening. Well, that's what I was going to say is when when we uh, brought this up today with Declan on Ventline, when he says south, like what's he's talking about like Come apart completely before the trade deadline. It's, it's not. Coming, it's, it's going south. I don't think it's possible against the schedule. No, I don't think so either. And, and as we t- talked about uh, on the uh, podcast yesterday as well, Matthew, the reason why we're hard on this team is because they've got talent. Right. Correct. Like this is not a. This is not the wild. The wild just stinks. Okay, that's fine. They just stink. But the, the, the Vikings do not just stink. And when they do, Porters. we're, we're do, yeah. I don't, believe me. I really feel bad for Bruce, but. 
when the Vikings are bad, it's frustrating because you're watching a team that has a lot of really good parts to it. Even if they lost both of the next two games, yep. they lose to Philly, they lose to Detroit, yep. and they are three and four. The trade deadline is week eight now, right? It used to be week six, now it's week eight. End of October, end of this month, yes, sir. That's not going south. Correct. Even, because then you have Washington next, you can win, then you're a 500 team going into the second half of the season. It just, that's impossible. It is literally impossible well, for the season to go so far south that you would trade Stephon Diggs for a second round pick. And if the Patriots, none of that makes sense. And if the Patriots want Diggs, he most definitely comes, most definitely at a first round pick. Were you just quoting uh, Captain Munderland? No, is that where that came from? No, no. Uh, I'm just. Okay. I, I was. I was being as forceful as possible. He, you would trade him for a first round pick hmm. to the Patriots. Yeah. The Patriots. If the Patriots get Diggs. Their first round pick, by the way, is going to be at the end of the first round, yeah. which it ordinarily is anyway, right? Well, yeah. Of so, so how can you say it's going to be like thirtieth at worst? Yeah. So, how can you possibly say if you're Peter King? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. First round pick is wait. If I'm the Patriots, what? If, yeah. If None Rick Spielman calls Belichick today, and it's like, all right. So let me get the fifty eighth pick from you guys. Yes. Fifty eighth to sixty. You'd be fired. You'd be fired what? before you could make the trade. The Wilfs would come downstairs and fire you. Stefan Diggs has no leverage whatsoever, which is why he played yesterday and yep. will continue to play for this team because yep. he wants those paychecks. He certainly made his displeasure known to the organization with force uh, last week, and it cost him $200,000. So they made it clear back, buddy, we're not trading you. They told every reporter who called the front office and said, hey, give me that scoop on what it would cost. And they said, no way. You remember there were rumors about this in when the Instagram post came out with him in a Washington football uniform where, like, that's a team you want to get traded to. Um, and Adam Schefter called someone with the Vikings front office, and they said, bleep no, we're not trading Stephon Diggs. And this is one of the best players in the NFL who's 25 and has an extremely reasonable contract. There is no reason to move him. The only reason would be if he said, I will absolutely not ever play football again for the Minnesota Vikings. Like, I will sit. If he pulled the Carson Palmer, I will quit. I'll retire. I just will absolutely not play for you. And that would be stupid for him to do. So and he's not going to do that. If he was to ever do that, it would be in the springtime. Yes, like he's yeah, not going to now in the off season, submarine sure. his career by saying, right. "I am done playing for 2019." And by the way, I'm in the first year of what a five year contract. Yeah, that's, it just I, doesn't I, make any sense. I think Stefan got very upset, and I now think that he didn't probably fully think through the ramifications yes. financially. Like, he wanted to make a statement, yep. and he thought, what's my statement? I'm going to sit out for a couple of days, not thinking to himself, two, uh, 100,000, 200,000. Yeah. And so, but yeah, he is not going to. This is, he's not going to quit. Okay, now here's the big question that I have. Is the Stefan Diggs situation on pause, or is it hit the stop button? Do they do people still use remotes, or did they just uh, you know, change a channel with their brain? Um, but you know what I mean. Like oh, yeah. if you hit, you pause the live stream. Like a stream. tape recorder, you can pause uh, yes. a tape. I could pause and, an old school tape. Uh, that's you. right. Yeah, I got uh, you. Like a cassette tape. I totally got you. Um, yes. But let, let's just let's just put it that way, though. If you're watching a live program and it's moving along and it's stream, you pause it, but then it turns back on and keeps going. Or if you stop it, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Which one of those things is the Stefan Diggs situation? I would say it's most definitely on pause. And I also think, and I, I uh, 
talked about this with Cunningham today on Ventline. I also I also apologized. I think that we went a little bit far in saying, oh, look at Antonio Brown. You know what? The Vikings got two low, low maintenance guys who never. Stefan Diggs, the, the reality is, and this does not, to be clear, make him a bad guy, okay? So I'm not saying he's a jerk. He's not a jerk, I don't think. But Stefan Diggs is probably more of a diva receiver than we thought. And so I think that this is very much on pause. And I think that this also comes back to, and Diggs is probably right. He looks at this league right now and says, hold on a second. Delvin Cook is really good. But we're, we were trying to win football games with an approach that was very successful in 1994. Right. And so, so until I see much more, which goes well beyond playing Oakland or the Giants, I, I say it's on pause. That doesn't mean that he's going to skip out again. But I think that there would definitely be, there could be, a let's say, a two-game stretch where he comes back and is disgruntled again. Here's the feeling that I have in general about this team. And I, I wrote about it before the game, fully knowing they were going to blow the doors off the Giants, right. by the way. We talked about that last week. It would have been stunning if they lost to the New York Giants. Um, I wrote that 2017 feels very far away from where this team is right now because in 2017 there had to be, in order to get to where they went, a lot of selflessness. Like Teddy Bridgewater, for example, helping Case Keenum, working with the wide receivers behind the scenes. Adam Thielen talks about that all the time. And now that we're um, hawking people's likes and favorites and mentions and stuff to see if there's any secret messages behind the scenes. What you notice is a lot of people favoriting things about Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, and I and I think that even guys who didn't play a lot with him, like Alex Boone, who we talk with all the time, um, Alex says great things about, about Teddy. And, and him in that locker room in 2017 was important to them, even though he wasn't playing. And Brian Robison taking a back, seat role to Daniil Hunter. I think that that was important to have that type of leadership. Terrence Newman um, started at the nickel corner position, but was vital to helping train and uh, basically raise these young corners to what they were. There was a lot of selflessness that went on. This does not have that feeling anymore. It feels to me from the Rudolph contract situation to some of Thielen's comments about how it's the media's fault to Stefan Diggs missing practice that when things go wrong and even the way that Kirk Cousins talks, um, it's well, I've had receivers do stuff before. It's like, okay, buddy. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? There, there's never any sense from him of like, I am in control of this situation. Okay. There's never that feeling from him. It's when it goes wrong, pff, quarterback says, I went through my reads. Kyle Rudolph says, oh, no, I love blocking. You know, I'm like, right. sure you do. And right. uh, Thielen says, media's fault. Diggs says, I'm not coming to practice. On that offensive side, when things go wrong, there's a lot of people just pointing fingers in other directions. When it doesn't go right, it's Diggs saying, well, it's the system's fault. And, you know, things like that. And so that is the thing that is going to be worth watching as they play two games that matter. No longer is Detroit a joke. And Philadelphia is very, very good and has the capability of winning a game at U.S. Bank Stadium. I wouldn't say that for very many teams. Mm-hmm. If these two games go sideways, then this has the potential to pick right up where it, where it left off. Pause. If they win these next two games, yeah. then it feels like we're right back on track, back to the beginning, back what we thought when you know Courtney Cronin picked them eleven and five. I picked them ten and six. I think Alex Boone picked them eleven and five. We're kind of right back to that if they win these next two games. To me, it feels like a huge swing moment for not only the season but for the offense and these players and how they get along with each other. Which is exactly why I can't wait for Sunday. Because I feel like Oakland and the Giants told me nothing. 
okay, the Vikings are a good team that can be beat up badly on bad teams. We know that. We're not surprised. The defense, guess what, can be really good. But that's why I think the Eagles game and Detroit game are going to tell us a ton about this team. I agree. And again, too, but here's my starting point. Here's what I want offensively. I want you to do your job. You don't even have to be dynamic here. If Philadelphia comes in and scores 40, okay, I don't expect Cousins and company to score 45. I expect that the Vikings lose. And you say their defense, which is the key to this team, let them down, right? But if the Vikings give up, I don't know, let's pick a fair score, 17 to 21, then I expect you can score 22. And is that unfair? I just, I want this offense to understand it doesn't, need to be high maintenance. Like, all of this drama is coming from the wrong place. If they were the straw that stirred the Vikings' drink, I'd be like, I get this, because they're struggling, and they're really, really good. But when we talk about this team being really, really good, Matthew, it starts with defense. And offensively, you've got some nice components. But they just have to do their job. Like, the the past week, and all of the drama, and all of the BS, and all you had to do, and I realize that the Bears... Uh, defense is good, but all you ultimately had to do was score seventeen points. Yep. Like nobody asked them to score forty or oh, yeah. thirty. They, they easily, and that's part just, of this conversation you know, too. But just is, shut up and score seventeen points. It's part of the conversation too. Is that both games should have been won? I mean, you should be able to. Well, Green put Bay up seventeen Green against. Bay, that's the killer because that that game is yours. And seventeen points against a team without Akeem Hicks, without Roquan yeah. Smith, was. Very manageable, mm-hmm. and to put up six and have it only be at the end, so you basically got shut out. It was just unacceptable. So you could see why there would be issues inside the locker room of people saying, "Whose fault is this, really?" But instead of sort of galvanizing, which you saw from the Vikings' defense last year when the Rams ripped them apart in that game, they came back and still finished fourth in the NFL in yards against last year. And they've done it a number of times where the defense bounces back. And that doesn't mean they're perfect. It just means when they go through things, they usually find a way to get it together, whereas the offense does not have that same sort of feel. It seems like it's not the brotherhood of the defense. It's more like, whoa, 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 I want out of here if you guys aren't going to throw me the ball to win. What frustrates me about that is 17 points. Or or how, how about on first and goal from the Packers' eight? You don't call a cousin's pass. And how frustrating. Okay, yesterday, how how in one sense funny, but in one sense maddening, was that first half pass, I, I believe, same deal, down by the giant, down by the goal line. Where, and he threw it into the where stands. Cousins, he didn't only, and, and we didn't talk about this, not only did he throw it into the stands, Matthew Collar, but he threw it into the side, towards the side. Which is which is the Green Bay pass? He said I didn't throw it long enough to to get it out. You know, so yeah. it was either Diggs's catch or it, it goes into the first row. This time, same play. Somebody told him not only do you not want to throw th- that ball up for grabs, but if you're going to consciously throw that ball away, I want it towards the the basically the side of the field. Right. So it goes out of bounds. And the only human being who's going to catch that is a fan, a security guard, or somebody like that. Right. And uh, I think a fan caught it yesterday. They did. It was the right move. Um, now, there, it <laughs> is... A month too late, it was the right move. All right, so let's get to your mini-scoop, though, because I've got some other thoughts on that. Of sure. Even though yesterday was a whooping that 
you know, there are things that they did last year that are so much similar to this year, where even when they put a whooping on somebody, they sort of let them hang around in the game, and the team's just not good enough to take advantage, but they they let you hang still when you're a bad team, or at least they did yesterday. Not so much with Atlanta or the Raiders, but um, that was a little bit concerning that the Giants had chances to come back in that game because of some of the red zone failures, which we've seen from Cousins since he's been a football player, I guess. Um, but let's talk about the mini scoop, which is that Diggs's frustration you found out in New York was more based on the offense and the receivers not being the centerpiece of it. Yes. As opposed to Kirk Cousins specifically. It's Kubiak. It's Kubiak and, and a system that I think to guys like Thielen and uh, Diggs, in this case that we're talking about, reeks of a bygone idea. Mm-hmm. And, and it, as we've discussed the past couple weeks or so has definitely evolved and changed and Kubiak has in some ways, but not across the board. So what I was told basically was nobody really has, nobody is not showing up because of Kirk. Mm -hmm. Like, I think everybody agrees that Kirk is sort of socially awkward and sort of goofy and, but Kirk has talent in their mind. And, And I think what they don't get is, you're paying your quarterback 84 mil. You're paying Diggs big bucks. You're paying Thielen big bucks. Okay. These are all guys who are involved in the passing game. Right. And now, and now you bring in an assistant head coach to install an offense that basically says, let's run as, as much as possible. And when we have to pass, we will. And so the Diggs complaint is not with Cousins. It's with the fact that the Vikings are now trying to run an offense that a guy like Diggs sees as archaic. And despite the fact he got paid, he still thinks, one, I can get paid again, which right. Is, which he's right. Yep. And two, I'm Stefan Diggs. And also, and I'm not he, getting the football. He's not a dumb guy either. He's a very smart guy, as, as I've talked about a number of times, just analyzing his success in the NFL, that that plays a big role in it. He's got to know, being a bright fella, that even in 1994, which you referenced earlier, the number one team in yards per pass attempt was the San Francisco 49ers, mm-hmm. who won with Steve Young and Jerry Rice and the passing game. Like, no matter what era you go to in the NFL, teams that win do it with the passing game first. You, you, even though it's considered to be old school pounding the football, I've totally failed to find an era where the teams that won the Super Bowl didn't have a great passing game consistently, like consistent Super Bowl winner after Super Bowl winner. Every once in a while, there's one per decade or something. But San Francisco, those teams all all were great at passing the football. Right, exactly. Absolutely. And when you go back even to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who people would you know want to reference as, oh, they pounded the football and all those things, they usually were among the best teams in the league in passing yards per attempt. Yep. And so... it. If you know anything about that, you're going to look at it and say, well, wait a minute, how are we going to actually win something here by focusing on the run game? And what they did yesterday is actually the way to do it, which is if you can pass to set up the run, then you're going to be in pretty good shape because Delvin Cook is going to kill people at the end of the game, especially if they're respecting your throws down the field and they're backing off, they're playing two safeties, Mm -hmm. and then Cook is going to put an end to the game. I've always thought that it works the opposite way. By the way, uh, 1978 Pittsburgh Steelers, number one in the NFL, yards per pass attempt, Super Bowl Terry Bradshaw, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The numbers from back then are kind of wild. He threw some picks, baby. 
Early in his career, he had a crazy, early in his career, crazy he threw, number. He threw of picks. quite a few uh, ints. Yes, but, he did. But you know what's what somebody discovered not too long ago about the ints is that if you throw them down the field, doesn't matter. Your win probability doesn't change as much as you'd think. Like picks look bad for quarterback rating right. for. You know, the the statistics and all those things. Like, Bradshaw had 210 picks and 212 touchdown passes. But those things just don't really tell you the whole story when it comes to playing quarterback. He also averaged, at times in his career, 15 yards per completion. That's hucking it. Did he That's really? It, yes. Wow. No, no one ever does this anymore. Lynn Swan. That's throwing it down the field. Johnny Stallworth. Yeah. Yep. So Interesting. Uh, the point just being that he, at any point in history you're going to go back and find that the passing games are what got you all the way, not just to being good, but to being great. So Diggs' thing, though, was was not that I, I think he caught uh, th- three balls against the Giants. Diggs' thing was not, right now, give me the ball more. It was prove we can throw. Right. Like, I think yeah. he was happy. I, I don't think he, he sat down after the game and looked at his own personal statistics and said, I got screwed. I think he said... Thank God we threw the football. Yeah. And if Thielen caught him yep. and Johnson caught him yep. and Cook caught him, that's fine because that's a start. And and Dalvin Cook's involvement is absolutely fine. I think what drives those guys crazy is when it's hand the ball again, hand the ball again. Right. Now, But now where this conversation does flip a bit and becomes intriguing is this one. Green Bay, first and goal from the eight. Because if you run there, I think you score. But across the board, Diggs is not wrong. Yeah, no, I don't think he's wrong. I think if you don't have an explosive passing game, it doesn't. The yardage totals don't so much matter as what you do in terms of efficiency. And right now, they're doing okay in in that area overall. But a lot of it has been against the bad team. So let's right. but let's take a break, and we'll come right back. We'll continue the discussion about what the passing game has to be uh, as we go forward here into two very difficult games that matter a lot to the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, did did your opinion change at all about Dallas and KC games based on what you saw yesterday with those two teams losing? We'll be back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. We got a lot of horses in the stable, and a lot of guys can have success. So uh, as far as doing my part, it's going to be huge, and uh, doing whatever they ask me to do at this point. As far as team success and driving that, that, because, you know, Dalvin can break it at any given time. So just don't want to be out there and caught lacking when he's trying to break it long All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad here with you. Um, I don't know what we were talking about because we were just really deep into Minnesota Vi- or uh, Minnesota Twins. There, um, Judd has the Homer Hanky Homer going Hanky on. Right here. It's uh, uh, it's a crazy situation in here. So um, I wanted to read you something from Mike Sando, who's, who's going to be on the show on Wednesday. I'm excited for that at Big 3 o'clock. Of, Big fan of Mike's. And he broke down all of Kirk Cousins' games by yards per attempt and then the opponent ranking in defense by expected points added, so not just by regular yards. And you'd be surprised that all the best yards per attempt games are against teams like the Giants, the Dolphins, the Falcons, Lions of last year, Packers last year, 21st, 25th, 22nd, 31st. And then his worst games against the Patriots, Bears, Bears again, Patriots, Bills. Like, you know, I mean, it's mostly the good defenses that he has struggled against. The bad defenses that he succeeded against. Funny how that works. Almost remarkably so. Like you would think, just by being an NFL player, um, he would have 
like the luck of being great against a really good defense at some point and winning a big game, but he hasn't. And I guess my question, Judd, is like, how are we supposed to deal with this going forward if it continues? Because last year, think about last year. It Drugs, was, maybe? Is that what you're suggesting? You, I don't know. You Medications? Play, you play a good team, yep. and you fall apart. You play a bad team, and you run them out of the building and yep. make everyone think that you're actually a, maybe a good team. Mm-hmm. And... At some point, he needs his Rams game that Case Keenum and the Vikings had in 2017. When they beat the Rams 24-7, I think, we decided, okay, this thing is real. So my question for you is, yes, sir. which one of these upcoming games would be the, okay, now it's real game for the Vikings? Like, Which one could they win? And then you'd go... Oh boy, okay, this team is legit now. They've gotten over all their problems. They've figured out their offense. They've Ooh. got it. They've proved they could be a real That's team. That's a tough one. I mean, is it this week? Uh, to get as far as you just said, for me, no. But this week at least is going to, because it's a home game against a good team, it's going to show me something. It might be bad. It might be good. Uh, but. You just basically were were breaking down the uh, possibility of coming up with a cousin's concoction of how to get the most from him. And I would not say that that comes against a certain team. I would say that that comes with a formula that would run a high risk and is difficult and involves a lot of coddling. And by that, Kirk Cousins, clearly as we've seen, plays his best when when he believes the team has ultimate confidence in him and more importantly, when he doesn't think, right? Kirk Cousins so far, and and the Oakland, and now Atlanta, because Atlanta looks awful, and Giants games are hard to judge by because they those teams are so bad, those three teams. But can you, I think the Rams game, there, there was still a feeling in Cousins' mind that one, the team had confidence. And when that happened, here here's where, to me, there was a key, um, a key unlocked with Cousins that, that, I have not seen unlocked probably since week eight or week nine of last year. And that is the, they have confidence in me. And so I can play free and easy, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to screw up. Yeah. But if I screw up, it's not going to be held against me as much. So I wouldn't say that I can pick a team that there's going to be a good game against so much as I can tell you what the formula would be. But I don't see the Kubiak offense going that far. Yeah, I, Does that I, make sense? I've come around to feeling like you need to lean into the Cousins. Like go, right, the concoction. Go, the Cousins right. con- concoction. Yeah. Go I'm full Cousins. Like yeah, it, you're right. It, okay, so he can make great throws downfield. Then throw it downfield. And I, and I know that this is going to take better pass protection. Yesterday it was fine. It's the New York Giants. They're super bad. Um, against the Bears, that might be very difficult to just say, throw it downfield, bud. Absolutely. Because those opportunities were there. He couldn't pull the trigger in part because of the pressure. And then the other part was the pressure that he thought was there, but wasn't necessarily there. And he finally admitted to that for the first time since he's been here that he has that um, propensity to do it. Sees ghosts. Like, yeah, that okay. he does see ghosts at times. I remember he got defensive about someone asking him about it last year and then. This last week, he said, yeah, well, my eyes probably did drop and look at the rush and things like that, which I imagine is very scary and difficult, but NFL quarterbacks do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week, he's going to have to do it again. The Eagles have a great pass rush, and they have terrible coverage downfield, so you're going to have to find a way to take advantage of the bad coverage downfield, um, despite the fact that you know that guys are going to be on top of you when you're dropping back. But 
aside from that, my thought is that Cousins has these particular skills and they're not changing. There isn't anything you can do. You can't make him not fumble by being conservative. He'll still fumble. You just won't get the other benefit. We know this. He can stand at the podium and tell us which fumbles were luck and which fumbles were his fault and why he fumbled and all these different things. But yet, he'll still fumble. It's going to happen. He's going to throw picks sometimes. He doesn't have a tremendously high interception rate, but he seems to have an amazing ability to do it at the wrong time. And that's still going to happen. So why not get the other part out of it, too, which is throws down the field. And I think that last year in Philly is a good example of this, where they were backed up at something like the two-yard line, and they throw throw a bomb to Thielen. He makes a great catch. It gets them rolling the other direction, flips the field. They may have gone and kicked a field goal or probably missed the field goal. Um, And you know, later in the game, he throws a backward ball that turns into a fumble that the Eagles get. You're like, really? Really? Did that really happen? It was like a three-yard pass, and it turns into a fumble. But you win the game. He goes 31 for 39. He completes downfield passes at at the times where they needed it. Mm -hmm. That, to me, would be the strategy going into Philadelphia and beyond is, you know what? It's going to be high variance, as they call it. But at least you're going to get the benefits that come with it. But this, I think this discussion of the Cousins cocktail to success starts on, on a therapy couch. Because I really believe that if you go back week one, if you don't think that the fact that they only asked him to throw 10 passes got in his head completely, I think you're crazy. I think he thought to himself, well, I'm going to say I could win, win a game 52-51, but they don't really trust me. I wonder why. And do you think I'm that think any about other team is not passing the ball more than that in a game they that are. they're up? But, you, but, but how do you get to... We, we're going to get like it or not, the complete Cousins experience, okay? But if we're going to do that, let's get the good. How do we get to the point of getting the good without completely sabotaging yourself and doing so by accident? I think it's just... I mean, it's a really difficult question. I think it's just an aggressive mindset, which also might be quick passes in a way, too. Because I I mentioned this with Sage Rosenfels in hour one, and if you didn't hear it, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, uh, where he stepped back three steps, hitch, throw, on time to Adam Thielen in a very accurate pass for a first down. And it was just, it was a money pass. It was one where if you see a college quarterback do it, you go, ooh, this fella could play in the NFL potentially with an arm like that because that's a real NFL throw. And... So it might not always mean huck in it, right? Like, that's kind of how we think of it as, well, why aren't they just throwing it deep to Thielen and Diggs? All right, well, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But even just being aggressive on throws like that that are 10, 12, 15-yard gains, those are big chunk plays for you that are, if it was a run, you'd be like, whoa, a 15-yard run. That was the best thing I've ever seen. But when it's a pass, it's like, oh, yeah, just a routine 15-yard completion. Um I think you need to aim for more of those, more 10 to 15 yard throws. This is a guy who does over his career have very good accuracy yep. and yards per attempt when he's throwing intermediate passes because he can be accurate. More of that. And even in the Bears game, the ball that Diggs fumbled, which by the way was overturned in the Kansas City game last night, same exact fumble. I'm just saying. Really? Yes, it was. Travis Kelsey. Uh, I'm shocked by this. I know. News. Travis Kelsey caught the ball, had it in his hands, came down, and it was stripped. And they said it wasn't a fumble. 
It was the same thing that happened with Diggs. But, that should be a fumble. Then. But, I mean, the OPI thing, I could burn this studio to the ground with rage talking about what happened last night. But they got, but, it, but they got it right in Vikings-Giants. They did. They let yes, both of those stand, they and they were correct, they too. They did. But the point just being that on that play where Diggs fumbles, yep. it's probably a three-step hitch throw, and Diggs runs a slant. He's great at that. He's open. He catches it. He's got some potential yards after catch, but it's like a 12-yard throw yep. through the air. That's being aggressive to me. That's not checking down four yards, hoping for yards after catch. That's making a real NFL throw. I say take more of those with Kirk Cousins and mix in these play actions and bootlegs and everything else because when you play better teams, they're going to get on you quicker on those play action bootlegs. And the Giants did? You can, what a joke. What an embarrassment. <laughs> How do you Their watch film? So How do you watch four games of film of Kirk Cousins? So bad. And he's and the bootlegs look, look like a bootleg from a 1930s comedy. Like he's rolling out like he's got all Nobody day, and around. they gave him all day. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I went to that game and it was just really was, hard to watch. I, I, in a way, don't want to watch back the film because it just doesn't feel like a real defense. But do you remember the Packers at times? Uh, yes, deployed they, a man straight at him on yep. those. Preston the, Smith a lot of times. I think yep. the Giants had a guy go up in the stands and eat, eat a hot dog <laughs> while he was rolling out. It was, it was a joke. After the game, someone asked, I think it was Courtney Cronin asked. Kirk Cousins about why Thielen was so open on that 40-yard yes, catch. Did, yes. And he was like, I don't know. I don't know who missed their assignment. But <laughs> man, did. it was somebody. Man, was my and life easy so, on that play. I mean, that's one where, I mean, who McLeod Bethel Thompson makes the throw and gets 40 yards. But but anyway, so that's not going to happen super often. Yep. Um, the point is just that if you are playing a good team and you can hit 10-yard throws, 15-yard throws down the field and be aggressive in that manner... You could still get those out on a three-step drop, mm-hmm. which is before your offensive line gets trucked by their defensive line. I think that's something that you can really help to set up the run is when you're hitting on those plays. Then you force safeties to play two safeties back yep. because you're finding Thielen digs. I mean, this is the way it's worked for them. Latavius Murray had running success. Jarek McKinnon had running success. I mean, it, Delvin is is great. He could be even better than those guys were. But in 2017, they were running with two guys who are inferior to him and still had a great running game. I think because they were succeeding so much early in games, throwing with Keenum to Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. So I think Diggs actually has this right for how it should work. Pass sets up the run. Yes. If Kirk is confident, the one thing that he can do well, and if he's not, it's a problem. But if he if he thinks that Koobs and Stefanski and Zim are like, yeah, you know what, you're playing well, Kirk Cousins has the arm talent to make very difficult throws and be successful. The problem is if he's throwing ten times and he's like, they don't they don't believe in Kirk at all, do they? Then it becomes a problem. But if you think about it, when he's been confident. He's made some great throws that that on his best day, Case Keenum could never make. Oh, absolutely. Could yeah, never 100%. make. But it's all about what? Building him up and getting him to believe that. And, and then, and then conversely, when, when he's confident, working quickly enough. Yeah, you just have to realize you that. You can't think. With, like, if, if you make him think, you're in trouble. With, with any quarterback, if you try to protect the weaknesses, you're just going to limit the strengths is the way I look at it. I mean, who who else might be an example of this? Um, they, they probably tried to protect the weaknesses of Case Keenum, and he said, no way, this is my one shot. Yeah. <laughs> I got 20 million bucks to make next year, buddy. I'm throwing it. Yep. Um, and I think of our friend Gus Farad, who uh, we should have on the show again soon, but Gus said 
Boy, when they put me in with Randy Moss, I was like, I'm throwing to Randy Moss. <laughs> if I'm going down, it's going to be hucking it to Moss. And I, that the same approach should be taken. But those guys if, were confident, if though. You're, it's true. But if you're going to go down, if you're going to lose, if you're going to have this fall apart and everyone gets fired, yep. I'm getting fired on Thielen and Diggs, two of the best damn receivers on earth. But you don't care if people like you. Just in general? You Kirk, mean Cousins, Kirk Cousins does. It's true. Gus Farad didn't give a damn. Case Keenum especially didn't. <laughs> Case Keenum, Mike Zimmer could have said anything, and he did basically, anything he wanted about Case, right? Yeah. Case was like, okay, cool. He should have worn the number zero for bleeps given. He really didn't, Which, but that's what made him good that year. <laughs> no, it did. it did. If he had cared, it would have been a disaster, yeah, we but were, because he didn't. I think we were calling them YOLO balls, where he's just yes. like, hey, the one against the Rams that he completed to Adam Thielen, where people are like, did you even see Thielen? He's like, yeah, sure I did. I don't think you did. <laughs> yeah. No, no way. But, nope. but Kirk wants people to like him, yeah. and Kirk wants to do what Kirk is told. Yes, that he will do exactly what the, and it really shows when he talks, because he will do exactly what he's asked to do as a quarterback, and he'll say, well, I went through my progressions, and that was the read. And like, well, I'm sure it was, but... You're trying to win the football but you game, have to, dude. Like, yeah. This isn't this isn't an offensive lineman who's like, yeah, I'm just doing the technique and running right. to the spot I'm supposed to run to. Yeah, not that they can't be dynamic, but it's not quite the same. We call it improvising. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, let's take a break here. I I think that that is a better strategy, not to just huck it, but to use the things that Cousins does best way more often. And see if that works. And if it doesn't, well, then at least that's how you went down with your $28 million quarterback and your great receivers and your good tight ends and even throwing the ball to Delvin Cook, which I think was a big benefit. Um, Let's talk about those other games, Dallas and KC, and whether they are shading how we look at this schedule now for the Vikings going forward. We'll be right back. Matthew Collar, Judd Zelgad. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Time for the Score North download. Jonathan here with this hour's download. Three catches, 44 yards for Stefan Diggs yesterday after a week of turmoil within the organization. So what did Kirk Cousins say about Stefan Diggs' role in the offense? As far as I'm concerned, I, I think he's one of the best players in the world. I absolutely am thrilled that he's on our team. I know that his role on our team allows Adam to get the day that Adam had. And if he has a big day, a lot of it comes from the fact that Adam draws a lot of attention. Uh, teams cannot bring a safety to one side or the other. If they do, you know, we're excited about that opportunity to, to work one or the other. And so they complement one another as a quarterback. Uh, it's a tremendous help. Vikings fans, what's your thoughts on what Stefan Diggs' role should be in the Vikings offense going forward for the rest of the season? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKO North on Twitter. That's your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Judd Zolgad is in here literally wearing the Homer hanky as a bib and not even eating anything just because he wants to and is excited about playoff baseball tonight. I figure I might as well be excited while it lasts. Uh, yeah. Can you blame yeah, me? This could be about today. I, there are rants that could be done now about game two, but I'll just leave those for Mackie Judd with Rami, which is coming up in a few minutes. But let me ask your opinion on this, Judd. Yes. Um, Kansas City loses last night, shows some weakness. One of their interior defensive linemen gets hurt, and the Indianapolis Colts. Boy, if you like old school football, can you imagine Mike Zimmer watching that game last night? He must have been like, oh, 
What a dream. What a dream. Just run they, the they ran the same run power the run five times in a row at one point, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, to, to win that game against KC in KC, which is an incredible feat for Frank Reich, the uh, Indianapolis Colts. And Alex Boone, no surprise, texted me last night, love what Frank Reich is doing, right, running right behind <laughs> the giant guard, of course. Um, and then Dallas loses to Green Bay in pretty decided fashion. Uh, that game wasn't even as close as the score. Green Bay played really well. Uh, we've been looking at those games at Dallas and at Kansas City as the games of the year for this Minnesota Vikings team. Yes. Does that still hold true after yesterday? Absolutely, yes. And, and in fact, now I would say that there should be a real potential that, for instance, you can go into Dallas and win, right? There should be. Oh, yeah. Like your defense could, yeah. again, score 17 points. That's not a lot to ask. Doesn't this have the feeling of... They let's say they lose to KC close, good game. They go into Dallas and win. Everyone's like, "Whoa, Super Bowl!" And then they lose to Denver at home. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's always got that feeling. But this, but, yes, this I feel emboldened to say that that there should be. It, it's amazing. This defense is really good, and it's amazing how quiet for, for the most part they are. Right, like we don't talk about them that that much now. You don't hear that much about guys, and. It's been the last week or so that we've been just basically going over the offense and they're infighting and Stefan Diggs. But if this team does its job, which starts with defense, yes, I think you can go into, I'm not guaranteeing anything here, but there should be a real chance to go into Jerry World and win a football game, or at least have a really good chance without screwing up royally and saying, well, Kirk did this, or Kirk did that. And this is what's crazy about this season a little bit is... Even though you have the history of Kirk Cousins against good teams, and it's not great, and even though you have the prime time in which some of these games will be prime time, including the at-Dallas game and at-Seattle as well, Mm -hmm. every single one of them you can make a case, including these next two. Philly, it's at home, and anytime the Vikings are at home, they usually win and play great. At Detroit, they can win that game even though Detroit's better. Washington, they should blow the doors off. They just fired their coach. KC and Dallas. KC is a really tough task, but like you said, you're in any game where you have this defense. I don't think they'll win that one, but it's not impossible. Dallas, you could definitely win. Yep. Um, they've gone toe-to-toe with Dak Prescott before in 2016. That was a great game. Um, if he's got his offensive line back, it's going to be a little bit harder, but it's, it's a really good matchup of two teams with... Good, not great offenses and really, really good defenses. And then at Seattle is always tough because of Russell Wilson, but you're going out there. You can make a case that they can win any one of these games. And that's why the pressure, I think, is as high as it's going to be for the next two weeks. Because if they do, it almost buys them a little bit of leeway with that four-game stretch that's so difficult. As If you go 2-0 and here against Philly and Detroit, yep. then you feel like, you know what, split the you KC and Dallas. Beat Philadelphia first. Yeah, that's right. Because the, the Giants are the Tigers, the White Sox, and KC. You're right. Yep. Beat Philadelphia. Philly's the real deal. Show me They're something. They're a great team. Okay, well, we will have all we week to something. break them down. Um, and we'll have Alex Boone and Courtney Cronin to do it tomorrow. So looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to Mackie and Judd with Rami as you guys are essentially a Twins pregame. Yes, we are. So enjoy that and enjoy whatever you're going to eat with that on as a bib. We'll uh, catch you tomorrow here on Purple Daily. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. 
Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.